let's start our Dhamma talk with the Namotasa. Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa So tonight I'm going to talk about the Sutta, the discourse given by the Buddha, which is called Not Yours. <coughs> At one time, the Buddha was staying in the town of Savati in the Chetavana monastery. And there he addressed a group of monks, saying, Whatever is not yours, abandon it. When you have abandoned it, that will lead to your welfare and happiness for a long time. And this discourse can be found in the Samyutta Nikaya. So, the Buddha said, whatever is not yours, that means nothing belongs to you or no thing, nothing is yours. And then he continued to saying, when you have it abandoned it, this will lead to your welfare and happiness. So when you can abandon that which is not yours, then you will attain happiness that will lead to your welfare. And so this implies that as long as we are not able to abandon what is uh, not ours, that we will not, uh, that will not lead to our happiness, will not lead to our welfare. Another question is, what needs to be abandoned? And the Buddha uh, then went on saying, and what is it that, it that is not yours? Form is not yours. Abandon it. And form, that refers to like material things, uh, our body, everything that is materiality, material form. And so what the Buddha uh, was uh, saying is actually, you know, all the craving, all the greed, attachment to form that should be abandoned. And then he went on to say the same with regard to feelings to abandon craving um, for feelings, attachment to feelings. And the next one is to abandon 
craving for perception or attachment to perception. The next thing is to abandon craving for mental formations or attachment to mental formations. And lastly, it's to abandon craving for consciousness or attachment to consciousness. And so, here we have uh, what is called the five aggregates. Form, material form, feeling, perception, mental formations, and consciousness. So these five things are commonly known as the five aggregates. And basically, this is what we are made of. A human being is nothing than these five aggregates. So one aggregate is form, materiality. So this is our physical body. And the Pali term for form, uh, the material uh, aggregate, that is rupa. And then the remaining four groups, feeling, perception, mental formations, and consciousness, these are mental aggregates pertaining to the mind. And mind, mental uh, phenomena are called nama in Pali. So we can further re- uh, reduce these aggregates to two groups, namely nama and rupa, mental phenomena and physical phenomena. As I said, our being, we as a person, are made up of these five aggregates. There is materiality, our body, and then there is the mind, the consciousness, with the different uh, groups. And not only we human beings consist of these five aggregates, but other beings as well, animals also, uh, are made up of these five aggregates. And so basically the building blocks of our world, the universe, uh, are these five aggregates. Beings have Nama and Rupa. Inanimate things consist of Rupa only. And so, going back to that uh, Sutta, basically what the Buddha was saying is these five aggregates are not yours. Neither your body, form, nor feeling, perception, mental formations, or consciousness uh, is yours. We are not the owner of these aggregates. And this body that we have, this life, this body-mind process is only temporarily borrowed from the king of death 
one day we have to give it back. We cannot keep it. Or the king of death is surely coming and get it back. So, we don't have an absolute control over, over these mind-body processes. And so, what we cannot really control, what does not really belong to us, what we do not own, this, so the Buddha said, we should abandon. Or, more precisely, abandon our attachment to this mind-body process. Craving um, for this mind-body process is tanha. That's another Pali word, a very uh, important one. So this tanha, this craving and resultant attachment should be abandoned. And then the Buddha said, this will lead to your happiness and welfare for a long time. But unfortunately, worldly beings are attached to these five aggregates. <coughs> and the result of this attachment is problems, worries, misery, pain, and suffering in all different forms. One is also exposed to dangers and external calamities. And not only that, having a mind-body process, one is also subject to the more pervasive suffering in samsara, which means subject to aging, body falling apart, body getting older, one is subject to sickness, surely one is subject to death, and another danger is to be reborn in one of the lower realms. So the Buddha taught this uh, sutta, this discourse, to make the monks understand, make them understand that this five aggregates are, uh, are not theirs. So that they could see that uh, these five aggregates as a whole or any uh, single of these, any one of these aggregates is not the I, it's not the self, it's not the me or the ego. And these aggregates are not uh, a man or a woman. They are not really a friend or father, mother, cousin or an auntie, an uncle. But unfortunately, most people identify with these five aggregates as me. This is myself. This is who I am. And identify these five aggregates as my friend, my sister, my husband, my mother, my teacher, and so on. And the Buddha very simply stated that 
this wrong identification with something that has no um, self or is not considered to be me or mine, that this leads to misery, to suffering. Or uh, looked at it from the other side. Whenever there is suffering or misery or trouble, the cause for that misery is simply tanha, this craving and attachment. And actually, in his very first discourse after his enlightenment, the Buddha stated that tanha, craving, as the cause of suffering. In that first discourse, he was exposing the Four Noble Truths. The truth of suffering, that's the first one. And the second one is the truth of the cause of suffering. And there he stated that this tanha, this craving, is the cause of suffering. And he said that that tanha, craving, uh, is based on ignorance, not knowing. They go hand in hand. When there is ignorance, there is craving. Craving could not uh, be present when all ignorance uh, is gone. So, mentioning tanha as the cause of suffering is kind of the very obvious um, direct cause of suffering. But this is based on ignorance. And so, Then the Buddha also said in that discourse that if we don't want suffering, we simply need to remove the cause of suffering. And so he said, we need to abandon this tanha, this uh, craving. So what is this tanha craving, uh, craving for? What is it attached to? It's attached to form, material form, including our body. So there could be attachment to one's uh, beauty, to have a beautiful body. Or one could be uh, attached to, to one's health, good health, if one uh, is enjoying good health or to have a fit and very strong body, one could be become attached to that. And, of course, there is also attachment to many material things, to our possessions. Then, the second area where uh, Tanha is attached to, this is feelings. And feelings in the sense of Vedana, like pleasant feelings, unpleasant feelings, and neutral feelings. The third area 
is to become attached to perception. Perception as that mental factor which identifies or recognizes an object. When the mind, consciousness, for example, sees an object, then consciousness itself only knows or cognizes that there is an object. It knows there is a visible form, certain shape. But consciousness itself does not recognize this visible thing as a tree or a house or a car. So this is the work of perception, this mental factor, perception, which arises with each moment of consciousness and so has to fulfill this function of recognizing this visible uh, input. And perception is also built on memory because when there is a certain visible form, it immediately compares that to visible forms that it has seen before. And if it's uh, similar to something that it has seen before and before that was labeled as uh, tree, then uh, the label tree uh, comes up. So, or remembering something from the past, uh, this is also uh, due to perception. And so one can get attached to one's perception if one has a good memory and uh, can say, I still remember what had happened 15 years ago. I knew that person was wearing such and such a dress and such and such a color. Then the fourth um, group is tanha attachment to mental formations or mental states and mental states like virya, effort if one has good effort so one can um, become attached to that or uh, when mindfulness is good and strong uh, one becomes attached for that or if it's not good and strong then one craves for uh, good uh, mindfulness. And the last group is uh, consciousness. So the consciousness itself as that uh, part which simply cognizes or knows that there is an object. So this is what Tanha uh, craves for, is attached to. And basically, again, these are the five aggregates. And so, why is one attached to these five aggregates? Why is there tanha in regard to these five aggregates? This is simply so because most people don't see the shortcomings of these five aggregates. They don't see the faults or the drawbacks in these aggregates. As, um, as soon as they would see the shortcomings or the 
uh, drawbacks of these five aggregates, then they could uh, abandon their tanha. They would no longer be attached to these aggregates. This is like this fisherman who was um, fishing for eels. Apparently in some parts of Asia, eels are considered to be a delicacy. And so he was making good business by uh, catching eels. And so he would put down his, what would you call them, like a basket with a hole into the water and leave it there. And after some time, uh, slowly pull it up to the, near to the surface of the water. And then the fisherman would pe- put his hand inside to see if an eel was in there or not. But um, sometimes it happened that a water snake would be in that basket. And that kind of water snake was a very poisonous one. And so when the fisherman simply puts in the hand to touch what is there, so feeling something round and longish, then he doesn't know yet exactly whether it was an eel or a poisonous water snake. But because he wants to make good business and he wants it to be an eel, so he's very hopeful. And then pulling out the basket and pulling out that longish round thing. And taking it out and looking at it, if it was an eel, yes, then he definitely uh, would keep it in his hand. But if he would uh, see that it was this poisonous water snake, would he still hold on to it? No. Immediately he would fling it back into the water. And so, likewise, the Buddha said, if we would see the shortcomings of these five aggregates, then immediately we could abandon all our attachment and attachment to and craving for these aggregates. So when the Buddha said that these five aggregates have shortcomings or drawbacks, what did he mean? What are the shortcomings? Uh, of these five aggregates. What are the shortcomings of our body, material things, or feelings, perceptions, mental formations, or consciousness? To realize what the shortcomings are, the Buddha said, we should observe these aggregates. We should carefully look at these different aggregates. To, to see what is um, wrong with them or what the faults of these aggregates are. And after some time of carefully observing these uh, aggregates, then 
people or meditator come to see that all of these five aggregates, when carefully looked at, are impermanent. Like, they arise and disappear. They come and go. Uh, Physical sensations come and go. Feelings pop up and disappear. Our perception is also only momentary, arising and disappearing from moment to moment. These mental formations or mental states are also just uh, fleeting temporary factors coming and going. And even consciousness is just a momentary uh, sequence of processes which arise and disappear very quickly, one after the other. So, one will see the impermanent nature, anicca, and seeing the impermanent nature, the fleeting nature, seeing that they are uh, not a base uh, which is reliable because they change all the time, so uh, we can come to see their unreliable nature, their unsatisfactory nature, dukkha, or suffering. And one comes also to see the anatta nature, the impersonal nature of this phenomena, because objects that simply arise and pass away and are utterly unreliable, we cannot call them ours. They are not ourselves. We don't have any absolute control over this phenomena. We cannot exercise any mastery over them. So, these are the, the shortcomings that the Buddha spoke of. All of these five aggregates have these three shortcomings. They are all anicca, dukkha and anatta. So, as long as people do not see that these um, five aggregates are beset with these shortcomings, they are still attached to these five aggregates, to bodily and mental phenomena. But when uh, people come to see these shortcomings, then that uh, then with that (coughs) these aggregates are not so attractive any longer. They lose their attractiveness. And so with that uh, attachment to these aggregates is getting weaker, lesser. And so gradually one can lessen uh, one's attachment to these aggregates. And so the Buddha indicated that if we want to become free from attachment to these five aggregates, we should uh, carefully observe these five aggregates. And so carefully observe in order to see these three shortcomings of mental and physical phenomena. So the Buddha simply pointed out 
that our body-mind process um, is beset with these three shortcomings, anicca, dukkha and anatta. He pointed that out and um, (coughs) pointed out a way to overcome that attachment. And so he pointed out the way, but we have to practice it. And so if we want to really become happy and uh, live peacefully, then we ourselves have to put the advice given by the Buddha into practice. So each of us has to work out his or her her own happiness. The Buddha could not do it for all of us. If he could, out of his great compassion, I'm sure he would have done so. But that wasn't in the range of his power. He pointed out the way, but encouraged people to apply it, to put it into practice, and then uh, see the benefits for themselves. And so it's like if I put it into practice, then I myself will reap the benefits of this practice. So by abandoning attachment, then my suffering will be gradually reduced. Even with the best of my intentions, if I do the practice and wish my mother to become free uh, from attachment, it doesn't work. If I do the practice, I get the results of it. Or if another person practices, uh, let's say my friend, and she dearly wants me to become free from all attachment, as much as she wishes to do so, it won't reduce my attachment, but hers. So the Buddha very often uh, encouraged the listener, his listeners, to not only agree with his teaching and say, oh yeah, yeah, that sounds great and this is true, but to actually um, practice it. And he also uh, always encouraged people uh, to really investigate that if a whether a practice is really helpful and beneficial, reducing uh, suffering and leading to increased happiness. And so his advice was that if something is helpful and beneficial, meaning that it helps to reduce uh, suffering and leads to greater happiness and contentment, then one should pursue that. But if something, when put into practice, is actually increasing one's misery and suffering, then the Buddha said to abandon such a practice.
and the practice which enables us to see these three shortcomings of anicca, dukkha and anatta is the practice of vipassana meditation. As you remember, the word vipassana actually refers to that, like uh, meaning to clearly see the three general characteristics of anicca, dukkha and anatta. So, in a way, we also can define Vipassana meditation as watching the three shortcomings of all bodily and mental phenomena, or watching the shortcomings of the five aggregates to see clearly that they are anicca, dukkha and anatta. So to watch Nama and Rupa, to watch mental and physical phenomena, we do this here in, the, in this retreat, but actually with a certain degree of awareness, you also can do that at home during your daily life. So for example, just let's uh, have a look at the first aggregate form, material form, and in particular the the body. So this body of ours needs to be constantly be taken care of. We have to care, uh, take care of this body uh, from birth until death. And we have to do that every day. If we miss one day, then this body will cause us uh, troubles, even great suffering. So for example, you know, if you are not emptying the bladder for a day, or even for less a day, it will be at least uncomfortable, (laughs) if not more. Or if you are not going to the toilet and emptying your bowels, again, very soon the body will produce uh, suffering, pain and troubles. We also have to feed this body several times a day to kind of keep it going. Here in this retreat uh, we have reduced our uh, intake of food to two times which is actually enough. And some meditators have even said in the interviews that uh, eating two full meals is uh, still too much, that they actually don't need uh, so much to keep the body going. And, you know, even if we feed the body, but if we feed it with something that is not agreeable with the body, then this will lead to indigestion, maybe even to diarrhea, or it can lead to headache and tensions whatsoever. So all very 
uh, unpleasant experiences. This body is basically made up of the four elements. The the earth, water, fire and wind element. And the party words for these elements are Patavi for earth, Avo for water, Dejo for fire and Vayo for wind. And Saito Uindaka, he compared this body uh, to taking care of four poisonous snakes. He says, you all the time have to take care of the Patavi snake, the Avo snake, the Techo snake, and the Vayo snake. So if we extend our care to only one of these snakes, then the others get furious and they bite. So we need to equally take care of the four snakes, be impartial to them. So for example, if we only eat, stuff this body with food, but stay at home all the time, sit in the chair, lie on the bed. So if we uh, do not do any exercise, then very soon this body um, will start making troubles. So then, let's say the vial snake, which stands for movement, uh, will soon bite because it's furious, doesn't get what it needs. I think all of us try our best to take care of our bodies, to keep them clean, to keep them healthy as good as we can. Because good health is important uh, to do what we need in our lives and also it's important to be healthy when we practice meditation. Otherwise it becomes much uh, more difficult, more challenging. But at another time, the Buddha actually said that if somebody says, I'm fine or I'm healthy, that this is actually a lie. At one time, he was talking to an elderly man called Nakula Pitta. And so to him, the Buddha said, If anyone carrying around this body were to claim to be healthy, even for a moment, what is that due to other than foolishness? Therefore, householder, this Nakula Pitta, you should train yourself like this. Even though I am afflicted in body, my mind will be unafflicted. So somehow or other, this might be on very subtle levels, the body is always somehow afflicted. And so what we can do, having a body, having to carry around the body throughout our life, is to see that affliction, but 
do not let our minds be afflicted by that. To see that this body is afflicted all the time actually is somewhat difficult. So ordinary people with ordinary eyes are not able to see that. So then they think, now I'm really healthy and strong, nothing is wrong with my body. But to come to see that this body is somehow afflicted in one way or another, one needs to look much more carefully. And it's actually only with our vipassana eyes that we come to see that uh, the body uh, is afflicted. And even at the outset of our Vipassana meditation practice, it might not yet be obvious that uh, this body is an affliction. But when practice becomes deeper, inside, mature, then it can be seen in that way. And so when one comes to see that then one's attachment to this afflicted thing will become less and eventually be reduced and completely overcome. Again, in regard to this body, most people have a very strong identification with this body, saying, thinking, this is my body. This body belongs to me. Or parts of the body. This arm. This is my arm. These are my eyes. My mouth. And so on. And so, if this body is hurt, or any part of the body, the eyes or the arm, um, then that leads to uh, suffering, unpleasant uh, sensations. Or if some parts of this body stop functioning, or if we lose uh, some part of the body, again, there is this great feeling of loss. For example, if the eyes uh, lose the capacity to see, if we become blind, so there is grief about the loss of one's eyesight. So generally, there is this feeling of my body. This body belongs to me. Parts of the body belong to me. But then, um, very strangely, why aren't we uh, attached to our urine or to our feces? That's also in our body, but when we go to the toilet and empty our bladder or bowels, then we don't feel grief about the loss of this urine or the feces. Or another example. In the West, when we have a running nose, um, you know, we take a handkerchief to blow our nose. And then we put the handkerchief back into our pocket. 
Asians, however, they they don't use a handkerchief. They just um, press one finger on one nostril and then blow it out, and then the other side. <laughs> and <clears throat> actually, before I went to Asia for the first time, I read the book Seven Years in Tibet by Heinrich Hara, who escaped from the prison in India and finally, finally made it to Tibet, to Lhasa. And he became friendly with the Dalai Lama. And at that time, there weren't many foreigners uh, in Lhasa. And so apparently, Heinrich Hara writes in his book that, you know, one day as he was with the Dalai Lama talking to him, his nose started uh, running, so he took out his handkerchief and was blowing his nose with the handkerchief and then folding it and putting it back in his pocket. And the Dalai Lama just looked at him and was so amazed to see how this foreigner, um, you know, something that comes out of the body, which is considered to be an impurity, something disgusting, how this foreigner can collect it in a white piece of cloth and then carefully uh, put it into the pocket and carry it around for another few days or so. So for the Dalai Lama, this was utterly ununderstandable. <laughs> for us Westerners, it needs some adjust- adjustment to see Asians. I saw that when I uh, later on went to India, also in Burma, people walking al- along the road, then all of a sudden they go... And maybe there's a tree around, and then they go like this, or a post, or sometimes even the door frame after having blown the nose in front of the house, going back into the house and discreetly. <laughs> so, different ways of dealing uh, with things that come out of our body. So, as I said, if one carefully looks at these five aggregates over an extended period of time, one can come to see they are arising and passing away. One comes to see that all of these five aggregates are utterly unreliable. And so, seeing this unreliability, see these shortcomings, then slowly the mind will turn away from these aggregates. And so with this turning away from the with this turning away of the mind from these aggregates, this means that our attachment is getting less and less. And so this lessening of attachment, the reducing of our craving for these aggregates comes through the understanding that it's completely futile to cling to something impermanent. Clinging to something that 
uh, is due to uh, pass away or to change is really a futile act. One realizes so there is no benefit in uh, clinging on to or to constantly craving for. It doesn't lead to real happiness. The Buddha said that these three shortcomings, anicca, dukkha and anatta, are present in all conditioned phenomena. So without vipassana eyes, one does not realize these three characteristics, although they still exist, but because of delusion, one simply uh, cannot see that, one cannot be aware of that. And so that's why uh, in their delusion, people still search for that perfect thing which will give them lasting happiness. I found a pithy explanation of samsara. Um, Albert Einstein, he defined uh, insanity in the following way. He said, doing the same thing over and over and thinking we will get different results. That's the basic insanity. The Buddha's way to happiness and peace is to abandon tanha, to abandon our craving for things, our attachment to things. And he said, this will lead to your welfare and happiness for a long time. The Buddha didn't teach us uh, to get rich and then we will be happy. He didn't say, um, beautify your body and then you will be happy. He didn't say, eat good food all the time. This will make you definitely happy. He didn't say, Get your dream partner and then you will be happy. I'd like to tell you the story um, of this Brahmin whose harvest was destroyed in a storm. So at one the Buddha came to realize that if a certain Brahmin came to understand the Buddha's teaching, then he would greatly benefit from it. And so, in order to get friendly with this Brahmin, he walked past his field every day. And so, on the first day the Buddha walked past the field, the Brahmin was clearing the field preparing it for uh, sowing some seeds. And so as the Buddha passed the field, he greeted the Brahmin, said, Hello, what are you doing? And so the Brahmin replied, Well, 
I'm clearing my field uh, because then I want to uh, sow some seeds. And the next day, as the Buddha was walking past that field, the Brahmin was plowing the field. And again, the Buddha stopped, greeted the, the Brahmin, and asked him, uh, what are you doing here? And the, uh, the Brahmin said, well, I'm plowing my field to prepare it accordingly. And so then, the next day, the Buddha, Buddha walked past the field again, saying hello to that Brahmin and asking him, what are you up today? And the Brahmin said, well, today I have to water my field. And next day again, the Buddha walked past and greeted the Brahmin very friendly and asked, and today, what are you doing here? And the Brahmin said, today I'm going to sow the seeds. And some days later, um, when the Buddha walked past the field, again the Brahmin was working in the field. The Buddha uh, said, hello, and what are you doing? And the Brahmin said, well, I'm weeding the field, removing the weeds. And so after a, t uh, a, a while, the Brahmin start, started to like this uh, ascetic Gotama, thinking that was really a nice chat. And the Buddha continued to walk past that field, and uh, almost every day they exchanged some friendly words. And so as the crop was growing, then one day the Brahmin decided that uh, part of the harvest he wanted to offer to this ascetic Gotama. And so then, when the harvest uh, had grown and ripe for harvesting, uh, he hired some people, and the day before the harvesting, uh, he prepared lots of food to feed all these hired people who were coming to help him. And so then, after the food had been cooked, in the evening, very tired, he went to bed to sleep. But then, during that night, there was a big storm, and there was a big downpour and strong winds, and so it destroyed the whole harvest. And the next morning, Brahmin realizing that it had been raining very heavily, he immediately ran out to see his field. And what he saw was devastating for him. The whole crop, the whole harvest had been completely destroyed. And so seeing that, he fell in utter despair. He went back home, sat down in one corner of the house, head down, and he felt really, really uh, despondent. The Buddha, uh, that day, went to the Brahmin's house, knocked at the door, 
And uh, he saw the Brahmin sitting in one corner of the house. And so the Buddha greeted uh, the Brahmin. And the Brahmin said, You know, you were so kind and compassionate to me. And actually, I wanted to offer you part of the harvest. But now, my whole harvest has been completely destroyed. And so the Buddha asked, Well, are you suffering? And the Brahmin said, I'm greatly suffering to the extent that I don't want to live any longer. And then the Buddha asked, Well, Brahmin, do you know why you are suffering? The Brahmin said, No. And so then the Buddha said, You are suffering because of your attachment to your harvest. Abandon this attachment. And with that, the Buddha went on to explain the Dhamma to the Brahmin. He gave him a Dhamma talk. And the Brahmin, really liking this fellow Gautama, uh, attentively listened to what the Buddha was explaining to him. And by listening to the Buddha's words, he already felt his uh, despair becoming less. His grief uh, was not so strong anymore. And so he started to feel uh, a little bit of happiness even. And so when the Buddha realized that the Brahmin uh, was ready, then he taught him the Four Noble Truths. And by the end of the Dhamma talk, the Brahmin had become a Sotapanna, having reached the first stage of enlightenment. So the Brahmin had uh, realized that his attachment, and in particular his attachment to his harvest, had been the cause of his suffering. And being able to uh, let go of that, his grief disappeared. And uh, he got a deep understanding of the Dhamma, which made him realize the Four Noble Truths by attaining to the first stage of enlightenment. So just let me end this talk with a question. What is really yours? Not so much a question to intellectually uh, figure out, but just let it sink into your heart and let it rest there. So may all of you be able to abandon your cravings and attachment and become fully liberated.